You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Hallie. Today, we're welcoming Oliver Millman to discuss his new book, The Insect Crisis, out now from Norton. Before I introduce him, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. And now, on to the show. Oliver Millman is a British journalist and the environment correspondent at The Guardian US. He lives in New York City. The Insect Crisis, published by Norton, is his first book. Welcome, Oliver. I'm so happy to have you. Great to be with you. Hi. Hi. Um, so just to get us started, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, this is your first book, why you wrote the book, uh, why now? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I think um, if you told me a couple of years ago that my first book would be about insects, um, I don't think I'd quite believe it. Um, I mean, I've, I've been writing about the environment, climate change, those kind of topics for quite some time now. And, and when you write about conservation, usually it's about, you know, the big charismatic creatures of our, of our world, the rhinos, the orangutans, the um, uh, lions and so on. And so the idea that insects um, would be important enough to write about in this way or would be in trouble because obviously they, they seem so ubiquitous they seem everywhere the idea that they could be in in kind of some kind of dangerous decline uh would seem um quite fanciful to me um so i'm kind of surprised as anyone really to find myself in this position <laughs> to be writing about them but having seen um uh, all the research that's come out in just the last few years and spoken to the scientists involved in it it's become clear i think this is the kind of probably the great conservation uh issue of our age i mean it is a kind of a global crisis that we haven't really um, wrapped our minds around yet, let alone um, acted in any way to do anything about. And I think um, seeing some of the the research papers showing declines of kind of staggering degrees, you know, down insect numbers down three quarters in Germany, um, ninety seven percent down in a place in uh, Denmark, um, the the rainforests of Puerto Rico. Uh, down kind of another 90, 90 odd percent um, since the 1970s. I mean, these are quite amazing declines um, of insects. And it really kind of shocked me, to be honest, to, to see that. And I kind of thought, well, um, I think people need to, to know more about this. I, I need to kind of explore this a bit more. And um, that's, that was really the kind of genesis of the book. Yeah, I... Um... Wow, that that ninety seven percent decline is is terrifying um, and probably quite noticeable in that place too. I imagine um, you yeah. mentioned uh, the charismatic creatures of our time, like rhinos. And do you think that uh, insects kind of lack or perceived lack of charisma um, is part of why people don't maybe notice or tend not to care as much about their protection? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, the insects are three quarters of all named creatures in the world. Um, 
and yet we don't really think about them that much and when we do we kind of see them as annoying pests um, in most of the time um, I think most of us kind of have an understanding that bees are important for us in terms of pollination and butterflies are beautiful and fireflies are very pretty but um, most of us kind of think of them as being uh, annoyances or irrelevances but um, as compared to those kind of larger uh, more beloved creatures uh, insects are kind of far more important I mean they, they're responsible for the pollination of a third of the foods we eat and and the good stuff as well the fruits and vegetables that actually provide nutrition to our diet so you know lose insects and you have mass starvation you have mass malnutrition it's it's a complete disaster lose rhinos and it would be a terrible crime it would be a horrible shame you wouldn't upend the world as we know it um the loss of insects is happening now at a kind of frightening rate and um we're seeing a kind of cascade of consequences from that um unlike we unlike that of anything we're seeing through kind of biodiversity losses in any other kind of realm of our world mm -hmm. um yeah but i i feel like we might not see like an insect on a billboard that says like save the mosquitoes or something um, yeah it's hard isn't it when we say we we call the creepy crawlies which is quite a kind of rude thing to say isn't it right and we, we, and we say that people are bugging us if they're <laughs> annoying i mean we a whole a whole system of language and thought is is kind of geared to be kind of anti-insect we see them as kind of pests and um kind of and irritating but um brutal. actually they're held holding up life as we know it um, and doing so for free, really. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, they, they don't know how, how else to exist. I think maybe because, right. you know, we think cockroaches will outlive us all. So um, I don't actually know how important cockroaches are, but <laughs> the idea that they are very re resilient probably um, transfers over to other insects as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was one of the things I did learn through the writing of this book is that some of the things we hate the most are actually quite useful. So cockroaches, like you say, everyone is pretty much revolted by cockroaches, but there's kind of like 5,000 species of them. Only two of them are the ones that hang around in our home. Um, mm -hmm. The rest of them provide a really kind of important um, function in the ecosystem as food for creatures much larger than them, birds and so on. Um, but also kind of they help cycle nutrients through soils and uh, plants and so on. So the kind of whole health of um, places that we we love and rely upon, forests, grasslands and so on, really depend on uh, a lot of these insects, including cockroaches, mosquitoes too. I mean, mm -hmm. as much as we um, despise mosquitoes and they are um, carry kind of a deadly threat in, in many parts of the world, um, they, they are a, another important link in the food chain um, they do pollinate some plants um, the idea of wiping them out completely would seem very attractive to most of us but um it would actually have a kind of uh, quite a few kind of knock-on consequences we weren't really really welcome mm -hmm. yeah um you mentioned the language around insects and um pests which i i, I love that idea that our language system has kind of like prevented us from seeing them as anything but a nuisance and the language in your the you know the writing in your book is is really beautiful also um and i wonder if you would mind talking a little bit about the writing process and how it was maybe different from your journalism um 
yeah, because it's it's a beautifully written book. Oh, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I never tackled anything as long as this uh, before, of course, and so um, I kind of saw it as as kind of a very long form journalism piece. But of course, the whole rhythms and structure of publishing is different from journalism, so I kind of had to quickly kind of adapt to that. But um, essentially, the structure of the book opens with a kind of prologue looking at what the world would look like without insects and that's an extremely grim place that we would maybe survive only a couple of months in um, luckily that's not going to happen um, we're going to we're seeing a diminishment of insects but um, they're not all kind of completely die out um, so i then go into the science of what um, researchers have been finding in recent years on insect declines why this is happening um, I, I i went to um central mexico to see the uh, migration of the monarch butterflies from the US and Canada down to the mountains of central Mexico um, and there's a chapter on that uh, and there's a chapter on the, the usefulness of bees to our world and so I went to uh, the Central Valley in uh, California um, to see the kind of the huge shipment of pretty much all honeybees in America to, to that area to, um, to pollinate the almond crop uh, and and just looked at how that kind of system is being strained by um, the pressures that bees face. So I managed to do quite a bit of a little bit of travel, uh, kind of late 2019, early 2020, before the kind of pandemic um, uh, shutdowns began. So I was kind of fortunate in that way. And then the rest of 2020 was spent kind of um, huddled in a uh, small apartment in Brooklyn. Uh, kind of finding time to bash it out uh, into into some kind of coherent sense. And uh, luckily, I had no real life outside that <laughs> um, in 2020 um, <laughs> for obvious for obvious reasons. So I, I did at least have the time to to, to focus on on the book uh, as much as I would not like to repeat that uh, that time again. The um uh, the perhaps scariest writing retreat in the world. Um, mm yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah well i mean i was i had two kind of two kids aged under five and quite a neurotic uh wiener mm -hmm. dog as well so it's kind of like the opposite of a kind of zen like writing retreat that would be <laughs> what i had but somehow it got done and i hit the deadline great um that's wonderful uh just like trying to picture a neurotic wiener dog uh, something <laughs> to help you right he's very um. <laughs> needy he's a very needy dog mm -hmm. we love him but he's, he needs a lot of care yeah um uh so that you use the word or the the phrase tiny empires in the subtitle of your book um and i that kind of um the you know, insects are everywhere. How could it be tiny? Um, is there a way to think about insects and their networks that, um, you know, makes them more global, like a kind of continuous network of, of little creatures um, or are, are insects isolated um, from one another and from, you know, how do they kind of uh, exist in the larger fabric of the planet? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think for our purposes, um, insects um, 
certainly do work on mass because they support our agriculture really about a third of the food we eat like i was saying is pollinated by them um, we wouldn't have apples cranberries melons broccoli cherries and so on um, without them we wouldn't have, wouldn't have chocolate uh, or ice cream unfortunately uh, without them uh, and without them in huge numbers i mean millions and billions of insects are needed for that pollination process um, i mean the insects themselves are i mean you may just see them as solo uh, a lot of the time but a lot of them organize themselves in quite kind of complex societies i mean ants for example are fascinating creatures and i remember poking around under rocks when i was a kid looking at kind of intricate tunnels they build and the, the way they kind of um, diligently worked as a team. I mean, looking into this book, you find out about all kinds of incredible things about ants. I mean, some of them are so organized that they, they have paramedic ants whose job is just to kind of go out there and carry off injured ants and carry them back to the to nest to tend to them. I mean, that suggests a, a type of society that is far more advanced than we would first think. Um, bees as well, of course, are, you know, highly networked and organized um, creatures they you know they can count they understand this the the concepts of zero um, bumblebees can be taught to play soccer i mean they're quite intelligent kind of creatures um, wasps can um, recognize each other just looking at their faces each other's faces they can recognize individual wasps i mean it, it kind of points to a kind of a form of consciousness um, certainly not the kind of human consciousness um, i suppose but you know, a form of consciousness that we should maybe appreciate a little bit more. These aren't just kind of mindless kind of um, clumps of cells flying around uh, mindlessly. They are all doing really important things to keep to keep the earth ticking over. Wow, well, they're not little zombies out for blood. Um... They aren't. No, <laughs> as much as it feels like it sometimes with mosquitoes. Yeah, I am. Um, and then the word empire too. Um, there are, you know, we, there's a queen bee, um, that kind of language infiltrates our world, we mm. applied the term queen to bees. And, you know, a lot of other insects have kind of hierarchies. Are there other ways that uh, insect kind of systems mimic our own systems? And what how do you kind of think about the fact that we actually operate our governments and um you know medical paramedics and stuff in very similar ways to the insect community yeah i mean it's um it's, it's a really good question i mean the drone bees um ha don't have much function other than to kind of service the queen and then die um uh, ants as well are pretty selfless most of them um uh, and and so are many other types of insects. I mean, they they do a lot of kind of quiet. The, the average life of an insect, I think, is quite a kind of quiet, underappreciated, short life where you have maybe one kind of small, tiny role, uh, and then you then you perish. And and even when you perish, you're of use um, because a bird may have eaten you or a frog may have eaten you, and that provides them with some food. And so some of the declines we're seeing around the world and not just of insects but insect eating birds um, there's been kind of crashes in bird populations in europe some places in north america even in the heart of the amazon rainforest the insect eating birds are, uh, are significantly down compared to those that um, eat other things so um, 
yeah it is interesting to kind of reflect reflect on that um i don't think all of us are quite as selfless as insects um i think uh many of us see us ourselves more as the main character um <laughs> in the show rather than the supporting cast um but certainly in our societies uh there are those kind of hierarchies of course when you look at concentrations of wealth in our society um who's prospering who isn't um certainly there is a there is a food chain um that is that is literal as as well as economic i guess yeah um yes we are we all do consider ourselves to be the main character uh, <laughs> in charge of killing the insects unfortunately um so um in your travels for your research for this book i would love to hear a little bit about the kind of people that you met and how um you know different kinds of scientists or other other people are working um around insects in across the world yeah it's really interesting it's really varied as well so i went to a kind of green rooftop in new york city where this kind of industrial area is, is trying to kind of regenerate itself with um kind of wildflowers and grasses and so on on a on a former factory roof and you know some of the conservationists there are really kind of excited about about regenerating that um kind of bringing green space into the heart of urban areas you've got kind of this kind of hipster culture around urban beekeeping that's kind of taking off in many parts of the world everybody wants to kind of be a beekeeper um that is a bit of a double-edged sword because it's kind of prioritizing honeybees which are um you know they're an imported species that um kind of dominates the landscape and pushes out kind of a diverse range of thousands of other types of bee that um um are already already in uh, in place but um uh yeah it's it's really interesting i mean california itself is a really interesting place because honeybees are essentially an agricultural input like a a, a pig or a cow or, or fertilizer or something like that, because they're so important for the pollination of crops. Um, and Central Valley is obviously such a huge uh, kind of area for um, fruits and vegetables across the US and the world um, that, you know, you meet kind of people you never thought you would meet. Like I met somebody who's a bee broker and her job, she works this kind of two months a year um, to match up um, farmers and beekeepers to ensure that, um, uh, farmers get enough bees to to pollinate their crop and she could do that for two months a year and then just play golf for the rest of the year uh, and i mean it's a job i never knew existed and 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 now i found it's kind of a very lucrative job um uh, uh, beekeepers themselves are really kind of interesting characters um it's kind of changed from a it's changed from a job where you you kind of did it as a hobby you created a bit of honey you put on your toast and it was all lovely and it's turned now into this kind of never-ending kind of race to keep your bees alive to fulfill contracts for pollination around the country you know blueberries in one place or you know almonds in another um citrus fruits in another place you travel around the country as this kind of never-ending kind of treadmill trying to kind of bat away the kind of diseases and and um pesticides and all the other kind of things that are killing your bees trying to trying to reproduce them and, and keep the hive as healthy as possible so that's changed a lot and and so finally i would say the people i met in mexico were were wonderful um cared deeply about 
um, their environment, were very sad at the idea of the monarch migration coming to an end, which is predicted at some point in this century because climate change is making um, their habitat um, uh, unsuitable for the trees that they favour. So they actually can't move up the mountain quick enough to get to cooler places, uh, the trees. So monarchs are going to have nowhere to, um, to overwinter, unfortunately. So that was, uh, that was quite a kind of confronting experience, but certainly a really fascinating one too. Yeah, that's um, heartbreaking too. I mean, not just because butterflies are beautiful, but that there will be very visible consequences of climate change in the next, in this century. Um, mm. I, what, so what can people do? Is there anything that a common person can do to kind of help or find hope or you know, prevent this crisis in small ways? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, the problem can seem overwhelming, a bit like cl climate change, I suppose, but kind of unlike many of the other problems we have in the world, there are quite a few at the moment, um, we don't need to kind of invent a kind of space program or a new vaccine or anything like that um, to deal with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't need to be new, some kind of technological breakthrough or anything like that. Um, I mean, there needs to be some new farming practices, for example, to, to use um, less pesticides and so on. But um, one entomologist said to me, it should be summed up as a kind of inaction plan rather than an action plan. We just need to kind of let go a little bit. I mean, we, we tend to kind of favor a very kind of ordered view of the world in terms of, you know, plants go here. We like kind of manicured kind of closely cut lawns that kind of roll out to the horizon. We like um, fields full of like single crops with no kind of weeds anywhere. Um, we like a very kind of like tidy kind of world that's actually deathly for insects. Insects like the jumble of stuff. They like uh, the mess, the scrub, the the kind of um, different kind of plants that we call weeds, they they rely upon, and so we've we've kind of destroyed that world for them, and it's causing huge problems for them. I mean, at home, if you have a backyard, you don't need to cut the grass every every week. Maybe just let it grow a bit. Don't rake the leaves in your yard because there's lots of animals that live and live there. Maybe don't put you know chemicals all over your your backyard. I mean, there's there's things you can do there. Favor kind of native plants, a diverse range of native plants, rather than kind of really um, pretty ornamental uh, plants that um, native pollinators can't do anything with. I mean, there are things that people can do. Obviously, there's kind of bigger things that people can do around, you know, joining campaign groups, voting the right way, and so on. But um, certainly, there are things that you can do to just create a little bit of breathing room for insects to bounce back a little bit. Um, do you think there's space in like education and early education for children to learn more about climate change and insects? Are there kind of like common assumptions that we are taught or come to know that you would, you know, would have changed? Yeah, it was really interesting speaking to one um, insect expert who actually does a lot of outreach with schools and he was saying, you know, um, speak to kindergartners and and they love insects and they think they're fascinating they want to play with them they think they're great by the time you get to you know high school he said 
everybody's repulsed by them they think they're gross and um uh you know that's because culturally you know it's, it's we've been taught to to think that way about insects that they are you know um uh, pests they uh, are potentially harmful to us we don't want them near us um and so i think there is probably a role in in education to actually extend that kind of initial joy at seeing an insect um, that's quite cool because they're such cool abilities um, to maybe kind of nurture that a bit um, explain the importance of them um, that it's not just the kind of the big charismatic stuff in the world that we want to save it's it's insects too i think there's certainly a lot to be a lot to be taught i think to children about ecology how the world works in terms of the connections we all have to each other and, and the natural world and how the the natural world actually functions um you know it's the kind of old analogy of um um we think we're we're the pilots of this plane we're not that we're at the back drinking martinis aren't we it's a kind of it's a bumblebee and a uh, <laughs> and a few birds and um uh, some other creatures are the pilots at the front of the plane um and so we should probably appreciate that a bit better it's a very elegant airplane that we're on. Um, that's yeah, it's classy. It's a classy yeah. airplane. Yeah. We just have to let them fly the plane. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about kids' fascination with bugs, too, and the fact that many, or insects, excuse me, um, that many uh, superheroes are insect-related. Um, Ant-Man, yes. Wasp. The wasp, is that? Uh, is that maybe. Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, spiders are technically arachnids, but yes, um, you're right. They they are, they do have that kind of fascination, don't they? And um, um kind of mythologized in kind of big scary ways as well as as well as superheroes. I mean, if you just think about the um yeah, I don't know if you caught any publicity around the 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 murder hornet mm -hmm. and its arrival in the US in Washington State um last year. I mean, that was uh, that was a really good example of that about this idea of this kind of fearsome hornet coming over from Asia and and it's gonna and it's called the murder hornet and it's gonna kill us all and uh, I mean the reality is of course it doesn't murder humans it decapitates bees um, it's not good news if it spreads for sure but um, certainly we kind of like to jump on we like to jump on certain insects and demonize them for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, very much like clickbait, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I promised not to ask you what your favorite insect is, but you <laughs> did mention that <laughs> insects have a lot of cool abilities. So what is the coolest insect ability that you have come across? Ooh, um, I mean, there's so many. I mean, honeybees can, honeybees can uh, detect landmines better than sniffer dogs, which is kind of startling when you mm -hmm. think about it. Um, I'm not sure if they wear kind of helmets and that kind of, you know, bomb disposal gear. I, I don't think they do. I think they just <laughs> go out there and do their own their own thing. Um, but um, that is that is astonishing. There's this beetle that can a water beetle that can escape being eaten by a frog by jumping out of its uh, bottom uh, once after it had been eaten. Um, that's that's quite incredible. I mean, uh, I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, there's a caterpillar that can create its own antifreeze um, to ward off uh, being frozen to death. Uh, I mean, there's just so many weird and wonderful insects. There's a butterfly that has a 
uh, an eye on the end of its penis. I mean, they, they're quite bizarre kind of creatures. One entomologist said they're like kind of aliens on Earth, mm -hmm. but they're kind of so adapted to, to this planet. I mean, they've been here 400 million years. They survived five great extinctions. Um, you know, they outlasted the dinosaurs easily. Uh, and that's because they are so kind of adaptable and so kind of extraordinary. Um, and, and hopefully we can hopefully we can give them the chance to continue for a few more million years after this. Yeah, they, if they survived five great extinctions, that to me feels a little bit hopeful that they will manage to... Yeah. Um, their almost superhero abilities to kind of overcome this one. Right. Um, if, if you would call it that at this point. Um, so I have one more question for you, uh, which is that your book was called A Wake-Up Call. Um, and so I would like to hear how you feel about that if you think what is like the one takeaway that you hope people will come away with from your book um, and kind of what that wake-up call exactly is for us. Yeah, I mean, I hope it is. I mean, I know, I know there's not a lack of things to worry about in the world at the moment, but I, I think if we take the kind of long view, the insect crisis is, is probably the, the broadest and deepest and most consequential of the kind of things that are going on right now, up there with climate change in terms of long-term impacts, the way that we function societies. I mean, we, the world is growing in population. There's more mouths to feed at the time when pollination is, is crashing in many parts of the world. We are facing a kind of huge crunch point with, um, I'll be able to just feed ourselves and um, be able to continue as life as before. And um, so much rests on these kind of slender shoulders of these small insects, um, far more than we appreciate or realize. And I think if I want um, people to take anything from the book is that, um, you know, insects are our friends, they're our allies, um, they are beautiful in their own right, and they are worth saving. Um, and I hope that if people can just take actions kind of small and large um, to to help protect them, then we can give themselves a chance, but most, more importantly, I guess, for us, to give us a chance. I mean, this is a, this is a story of human conservation as it is of insect conservation. We won't last much, uh, much, very, very long without them. So <laughs> it would uh -huh. be a good idea to keep them around. Yes, keep the plane in the sky. Keep us exactly. in martinis forever. Exactly, yeah. Uh -huh. You can just get drunk <laughs> at the back, it's fine. Yes, it's okay. Um, stop mowing your lawn um drink martinis in an airplane that's yeah the, that's the takeaway that's um, right. well, thank you so much for <laughs> sharing your extensive knowledge with us oliver um that i you know i could i could talk to you about insects forever um today's yeah. guests once or today's guest excuse me was oliver millman author of the insect crisis the fall of the tiny empires that run the world you can order your copy at skylightbooks.com. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify.
Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.